Welcome to Relationship Psych, the podcast, helping you understand how love turns to anger and even hate. Through the episodes, you will learn how to transform doomed relationships into exciting, intimate, and long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul-crushing love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can learn to create a strong relationship. Relationships Psych, the podcast, is not meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any mental health or relational issue. For treatment, talk to a mental health or relationship professional in your area. Maladaptive relationship behavior and two steps towards change. Today we are talking all about family influences or early childhood influences on our romantic relationships. I have been struck over the last week working with my clients and in my own relationship and even in the book I have been reading about the influence of our early family history, our childhood, and the lasting impact these things have in our adult relationships. Even when we have tried to do things differently than our family of origin, the choices we make are often rooted in the attempts to avoid painful mistakes of our parents or caregivers. And some of us even vow that we will never be like our parents. And we catch ourselves in a flash uh, in the mirror, acting exactly as they did. Our behavior sometimes can seem baffling or even overwhelming, confusing. But most human behavior, in fact, I would argue to say, nearly all of our behavior makes sense when we view it through the lens of our early experiences. As they say, our early learning is not undone. I'm not really sure who says that, but I'm sure it was someone because I know I knew it from somewhere. In this episode, we're going to look at early childhood experience and the origins of unhelpful behavior in relationships. We will use the story in a book, then review two tools to help you overcome problems caused by early beliefs. Did you know that the new site, www.emberrelationshippsychology, is live? Well, go check it out. We have a free tool that can help you understand how to finally get him to listen to you. Go download it. All right, so over the weekend, I started listening to the book, Seal Team 6 by Howard E. Wasden and Stephen Templin, which tells the story of Howard. He takes the reader through his experiences of being a young boy whose mother explained to him that his father abandoned him. Then his mother goes on to date and later marry a man who took it on as his duty to teach Howard good behavior. This good behavior lesson took the form of whippings by a belt to the point that he made the young boy bleed on regular occasions. As a small boy, Howard had to learn how to detach from physical pain and not feel. It makes perfect sense the way Howard explains his story and how he became a member of SEAL Team 6, how he learned to overcome the pain of the physical body and place his mind elsewhere, 
how he learned to detach. In his story, not only does he talk about his experience as a young boy and how it paved the path for him to become a SEAL, he also shares about the learning from his parents, the relationship with his mother, and the man who whipped him who would become his stepdad, and the lack of physical affection he viewed between them. He talked about how affection was difficult between him and his first wife, likely a big problem in his first marriage. He talked about how French kissing and sex came easily to him, but day-to-day things like hand-holding or a caress were very difficult. It's easy to see how as Howard shares his story and what shaped his beliefs, assumptions, and skills in life would become his career and his romantic relationship. It wouldn't be a surprise to learn that Howard's first marriage, well, I've already spoiled it, but a spoiler, spoiler alert, ends in divorce. What we can learn from Howard's story is that through identifying our helpful rules, assumptions, and beliefs, as well as our unhelpful assumptions, rules, and beliefs, and going on to rewrite our stories that are unhelpful to match the current stage in our life, we can change our behavior and change the way we do relationship. Howard goes on to share that after meeting his next wife, people tell them to get a room years after being married. He describes them as very affectionate. By learning new relationship skills, he developed a very different relationship. He learned that learning new skills takes work, that early learning is not undone. But as adults, we can think about how we want to show up in the world and how we want to do relationships different. It's interesting to think about what triggers fights with our partners. It could be a raised voice, a clip tone, a text message that wasn't responded to, or not coming home until the next day. All of these things could be triggers for some people and not a trigger for the next person. Our beliefs, values, experience shape us to understand what is a trigger. To one person, a raised voice is simply a raised voice. While to the next person, a raised voice could symbolize fear or disrespect. While showing up anytime between seven and eight when you said you were going to arrive at seven, is simply on time to one person, but maybe a person with a different set of rules and assumptions about showing up, uh, what showing up on time means. Showing up at seven o'clock, if you're supposed to be there at seven o'clock, means on time. And if you show up anytime after seven, so 7.01 means you are late. What happens is we create meanings around these things and we generate assumptions about what they mean, respect, disrespect, care or not care, causing us to be distressed. Often these are the things that tend to cause conflict with our partners. If you go back to episode two, help, my partner's driving me crazy. The episode talks about different ways couples can view problems and gives a lighthearted frame to how to think about some of your partner's, well, shortcomings. I did my level two Gottman training and it was led by a man named Don Cole, who is a wonderful Gottman trainer. He's also the founder of the Center for Relationship Wellness. We talked about couples conflicts and why couples get in conflicts. There are different kinds of conflicts within couples and some of them are called perpetual problems. These are kinds of problems that all couples have. They are perpetual because we all come into relationships with different personalities, beliefs, values, preferences to our partners and at times, Those cause problems, and they often repeat in our relationship because, hey, we are with another person. When perpetual problems occur, 
If they're just perpetual, we can have adaptable mindsets. And these things usually don't cause big blowouts, but sometimes they still cause problems. Gridlock perpetual problems are the kind of problems where couples really get stuck. They have big blowouts, avoid each other, give the silent treatment. These are the kinds of problems that people get very entrenched on and they can't usually find a way to compromise or adapt. These are the kinds of problems I work with a lot in couples therapy. We're trained to look at what lies beneath these big problems for couples and what influences their views. One of the questions we're taught to teach couples to ask is how do these problems relate to your background history or childhood in some way? Now, I have many couples who tell me their problem does not relate to their background in any way. But Don, and well, probably myself, would argue that uh, I disagree with my client's view on that. But if they say that in real time, I'm just going to let them go with it. Don Cole suggests that almost all of these triggering problems, these things that cause big upsets, do relate to our background history in some way. And I would agree. Because the early learning, the symbols we learn, those early assumptions, beliefs, they are not undone. And if we were having a big reaction to something, there is probably a big reason why. Here are two places for starting to change our unhelpful behaviors. We're going to outline identifying where our trigger comes from, to name it, and to tell these stories to trusted people. So let's go into the first one. One, identifying and naming it. When we get really upset, angry, tearful, frustrated, feel disrespected, like our feelings don't matter. These are cues. We are triggered. So we want to talk about triggers and where they come from. In the book, SEAL Team 6, Howard gets shot in the shin while in combat. He's in a great deal of pain, and after two morphine shots, he is still in pain. The morphine does not work. After pleading with a nurse for more medication, she looks at his chart and tells him no, because he's already had two shots of morphine. Howard gets internally triggered because of the pain. He's able to think back and wonder why, as a small child, he was able to escape, in his mind, to block out sensation of pain. But as an adult with a massive injury, he was unable to evade the pain in his mind. Well, this is a moment not in the context of relationship. It clearly illustrates how we can notice real-time frustration and link it to our past. Let's use a relationship example. Let's pretend Jenny and Ricardo have been fighting about housework. Ricardo, well, from Jenny's view, never does anything around the house, leaving Jenny to feel disrespected and like an employee. Because she feels this way, she often uses a clip tone and a passive-aggressive remark while raising her voice. She says things like, it must be nice to sit on the couch and have your maid take care of everything for you. This causes Ricardo to shut down and avoid her, often spiraling into a big conflict. Let's take a look at the background of Jenny Ricardo. Ricardo grew up in Mexico where his family was well off by Mexican standards. He had a housekeeper that worked noon to four daily, doing tasks from a weekly deep clean to daily dishes. Ricardo never had to lift a finger in his life. He had never done a chore until he moved in with Jenny at 27 years old. While he intellectually understands he needs to help with the chores, he often forgets or protests that they should just get someone to clean the house because he likely won't do it the way he wants, although he does clean a little bit daily. In addition, in Ricardo's family, his parents were often physically violent towards each other. It often started when his father was somewhat intoxicated and would come home demanding something from his mother. His mother was a strong-willed woman who did not back down. At times, it seemed she, seemed she did coward her, hus her husband, but also stood up to him, despite knowing he would physically assault her. 
She would raise her voice, and as, as soon as she did, this was the cue that Ricardo would hide in the closet. He learned what would come next, the physical fight between his parents. Raised voices became a massive trigger for him, leading him to escape the dangerous situation. Jenny grew up in a very different home, where her mother and father were very affectionate and loved each other, and it was obvious. At times, they raised their voices, but shortly later, they exchanged I love yous and I'm sorry's. Jenny developed a view that raising your voice sometimes is okay as long as you apologize later. In addition, her parents ran a fair and equal household around housework. In Jenny's eyes, they were the truest of teammates who had each other's back. To, to her, Ricardo's loss of housework meant he didn't respect her, he didn't care about her feelings, and they were not on the same team. She would become irate mad when he would just shut down. It was like a brick wall in front of her, and she just didn't get why the slightest raise in her voice would cause that reaction. So their gridlock perpetual problem was about housework, but it also wasn't about housework. It wasn't just about folding laundry or doing the dishes. It was deeply rooted in their beliefs, values, and early learning. The reasons they reacted so strongly to each other in the midst of these conflicts were about triggers drawn up from the past, leading to strong emotional reactions. The first step in overcoming this conflict was to name and identify the feelings in the current moment and where the triggers came from. The second thing we can do to help with these unhelpful behaviors is to share our stories with trusted people, specifically your partner. The caveat to this is if you have the sense you can't trust your partner with your story, in cases where conflict has gotten very bad or contempt is present, that these vulnerable stories will be used against you by your partner. That is not helpful. So we consider don't share then. The goal of sharing stories is a combination of emotional processing and also helping your partner understand your inner world so you can generate unique compromises for your unique relationship that draws upon your backgrounds and incorporates both of your needs. By sharing our stories, we often soften our partners and they can empathize with our pain. When we step outside our wants and needs and put ourselves in our partner's shoes, it's easier for us to incorporate a touch of our partner's needs and wishes into our solutions. How do we empathize? Well, Teresa Wiseman outlines four qualities to help with empathy. Now, empathy might not come naturally to some people, but with some effort and practice, it's possible. So here are some of the things that she considers. The first thing to do is put yourself in your partner's shoes to really get and attempt to see the world from the way they do, as if you were looking through their eyes, not your opinion of their views. In Jenny and Ricardo's case, she would need to attempt to understand the world from Ricardo's point of view, and that for him, cleaning just probably isn't natural. The second thing you have to do to empathize is be non-judgmental. And if you're a people, this is sometimes hard. Rather than considering our view about how someone should or shouldn't do something, simply seek to understand the view of the other without opining about it. The next thing is to consider the feelings of the other. Guess about how they would be feeling. This could be Ricardo stepping into Jenny's shoes and understanding or guessing about how she could feel disrespected and alone when he didn't pitch in. It wasn't because he was a bad guy. It was because of her early experience and how they taught her differently. The last part of empathy is communicating our understanding to our partner. 
that there is some part of their view or their position that makes sense to us, something that we can validate. It doesn't mean we agree or condone something. It just means you can see where they're coming from. When we share our stories and practice empathy and come up with joint solutions from this place, this is another way that couples can actively work towards change together. Now, if you don't think you're ready to share something with your partner or you don't think your partner can empathize, you could try sharing first with a trusted friend or a therapist. If you think your partner can listen and not use it against you, but maybe they'll struggle with empathy, ask them to just listen and not comment on your sharing. The theme of this episode is that nearly all, if not all, of our unhelpful behaviors in relationships usually make sense. And it was usually because that behavior was really adaptive in our early life and generally worked for us. In adulthood, sometimes we have to take a look at what worked in the past and consider if those things are still helpful. When it isn't, like Howard, by understanding our early origins, telling our story, and intentionally choosing different words and actions, maybe we too can have relationships where we feel love and connection in a different way we didn't know was possible. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.